You are listening to Ace Comicals. I'm Greg, and today I'm joined by my co-host Rahul. Let's go! Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. This is episode number 38, and... uh, I am joined today by Josh Rahul. Hey, Greg. How are you doing? Hey, hello. hello. Yes. And uh, we have a few picks from the previous two weeks to chat about today, along with some other new stuff that has been going on that we've come across over the last two weeks since we last spoke to you. So, yeah, how have you been anyway, Ray? I've been good. Sorry I missed the last uh, the last recording. It's been a busy couple of weeks. But glad to be back on it now and reading my comic books. It's, it's cool. Good. It's cool. Don't worry about it. Me and Leon, <laughs> me and Leon were fine. <laughs> Yeah, I listened to your episode. It was a very good one. I liked yeah. it. We, we, we held the ship together. Mm. And um, speaking of holding the ship together, Shanghai Red, but uh, that's coming later on. So we've uh, got some new TV shows. Luke Cage has had a second season. So we've got season two of Luke Cage now on Netflix. That is the um, the Luke Cage Netflix show that fits in with all the Defenders stuff and, um, you know, like the Daredevil show they've got and everything else, just to give people a bit of background in case they don't know, which... By now, I think they probably should because I think the world is saturated with this stuff, right? Mm. <laughs> but it's yeah, like Netflix's version of like all the Marvel, the like Marvel yeah. slate. They've got yeah. a bunch of standalone um, series. They've got was yeah. it Luke Cage, um, Iron Fist? There's yeah. uh, the the only other one that I've watched that I can't remember the name of. Um, what's Jessica name? Jones. Jessica Jones, yes, and which is great. Yes. I loved it. Um, I need to get on all the rest of them. Uh, yeah. So, Luke Cage season one was really cool. Mm. Um, When I watched the first season, I I remember being really impressed with it. Uh, And season two is just as good so far. I'm loving it. Um, Yeah, it's not... I don't really have... I mean, I'm only seven or I think eight episodes in because I just... I was like sat there watching them back to back yesterday. Um, I literally woke up... um, Went for a walk in the morning, came home, sat down on the sofa with a bag of cashew nuts <laughs> and <laughs> back to back episodes of, um, I started watching it on the Friday night. I watched a few on Friday night and then I back to backed up to like episode eight or nine or something, uh, episode eight, I think, because I wasn't, <laughs> it was just all blending together and it was all a whirl. It was great. It was like, it's like watching like a super long movie. I mean, I know there's like, cause I just kept hitting the skip intro button. In between episodes, oh, okay. yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> one long elongated, um, yeah, just one long storyline, which is yeah. something that these these new slates do really well. These new series where they, I know, um, stuff like like I think Game of Thrones and things like yeah. that set the template of it just being a one concurrent non, uh, you know, yeah. one arc in a row. Yeah, and and it works really well, <laughs> and it's it's really cool to just sit and watch it like that but it's also really dangerous because you get absolutely nothing done Mm. and you get absorbed by the television and then you are the television the television is you and you look in the mirror and your head is a big (laughs) LG screen now instead of a face yeah like something out of Saga yeah Yeah. (laughs) I'm sure by the way I'm sure if Leon was here he would tell me off for using Game of Thrones as the template for these kind of storytelling it's it's not at all I'm sure don't don't listen to us don't listen to me certainly when it comes to TV (laughs) don't listen to either of us when it comes to TV because Leon's the TV guy and he'll be listening to this right now like tearing his hair out or something yeah Yeah. 
I mean, he's not here, but over like over on the other side of London, like he's just shivered and he doesn't know why. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. cashew nuts, eh? Why cashew nuts? Were they salted, dry roasted? Tell me more about the cashew nuts. Oh, um, they were the plain ones. I'm boring. Man. <laughs> I like roasted plain salted cashew cashews. nuts as well, but plain cashews are good. You know, quite like plain cashews. And um, the really dangerous ones, which are like, totally bad for you are the ones that where they have it's like peanuts and cashews in a bag together and they roast them in honey oh that sounds great it is it's amazing you haven't lived but yeah <laughs> while, um... we're, while we're on the topic of tv and cashew nuts yeah um, i finished watching legion season one so not season two which is yep. also out and is, is season two complete now for legion i don't know okay, not you're not here. Watching it. <laughs> i've not kept up with legion no I've, okay. I've that one dropped off but i've been keeping i've made sure i've kept up with the netflix marvel shows because they all kind of they they sort of like bounce off the mcu like they reference stuff that happens in the movies yeah i have so, a colleague at work and he keeps telling me like little little details even though i tell him that i don't really like spoilers he's telling me little details about stuff that ties into yeah um i don't want to say exactly what but like you mentioned there are things from the larger cinematic universe which uh, i guess the background details get explained away in a lot of the the marvel shows i don't especially stuff yeah. like shield i think um, from yeah shield i think is the big one for that which um, isn't a netflix no produced show no yeah. yeah uh but the other ones uh the ones that you get on netflix like um the defenders and stuff and uh luke cage um will reference events from the movies but they will reference them as like a Easiest way for me to explain it is, you know, when you're reading a comic and someone brings something up in conversation, then you get like the little, um, the little note in the corner that says C issue such and such of whatever. Yeah, like the editor's yeah. note. Yeah, yeah, the editor's note. Yeah, that's how it comes up. Okay. Um, and it's it's cool to see that, and it's cool to see the interconnectedness of it and whatever. And mm. um, yeah, season two of Luke Cage is brilliant. It's explosive. It's just as good as season one, and it does some really interesting stuff. And to some really interesting stuff with some of what I will call uh, some of the some of the villains, some of what I will call Luke Cage's rogues gallery, I guess, but not mm. really his rogues gallery because he doesn't. He, he kind of shares them with other parts of the Marvel universe because that's how Marvel is. But he um, like uh, some of the interesting stuff they do with some of the some of the villains that they bring in and the way they bring them in and sort of ground them in that reality a little bit more mm. because some of these characters when they're in the comics are like they've got quite outlandish abilities and things and it's not i don't know if it would translate well to tv like mm. uh, from luke cage season one you've got um cottonmouth and in the comics cottonmouth can unhinge his jaw and open his mouth super wide and stuff like I a think. snake yeah, right. yeah yeah i mean they're all like you'll notice that there's like a running theme with snakes with the bad guys across luke cage season one and season two okay. because they're all based on um a group of snake-based bad guys from the comic books. I'm trying my hardest not to like totally spoil this for you if you want to discover this yourself. But uh... I will do it at some point. Um, but yeah. so, how do they how do they deal with that in the TV show? Like taking away that slightly supernatural, slightly unrealistic, unhinged um, thing. He doesn't they... do that. He's just he's just like a, a really nasty mob mobster. Okay. Yeah. So hmm. they 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 take that stuff off completely. Yeah, because like... I do like seeing how, especially in like movies and whatnot how they ground them a little yeah. bit more to just just looking a bit a little bit less absurd or you know over the top like they can do yeah. in the comics which you know they get away with well when um, yeah when i read the comics the absurdity is part of the charm 
But mm, when you yeah. watch the TV show, you don't always want that. Also, it's that uncanny valley yeah. thing where if you see a, if if you saw a human doing that thing, like a live actor, it would just look odd and maybe a yeah. bit silly and a bit laughable. Yeah, it, it would like the CGI and whatever else. And yeah, I mean, obviously they still do have that kind of element in there because otherwise it wouldn't be a superhero show. So there's obviously still stuff happening, and there's still in in season two. There's a, a little bit of um, can I call it a supernatural element? I guess I can, and things like that. And it's really cool how it works. And yeah, and and Misty Knight is great in season two. I mean, she was good in season one, but she, in season two, she's great. Okay, it's like favorite character MVP. <laughs> <laughs> MVP of season two is Misty Knight. But yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a good show, and uh, I'm going to finish it off, and I'll probably talk about it again on another cast, and hopefully um, Leon watches some of it. But then again, he's four shows behind, isn't he? As he said this morning, because <laughs> he, he told us on the on the uh, we're on we have like a WhatsApp group for us guys hosting Ace Comicals, and um, Leon. Was I, I was talking about Luke Cage this morning. I was asking if any of the other two guys were up to date and Leon was saying he's four Marvel shows behind. And I think that's why he dared not come on the recording today. <laughs> I'm basically, I don't know however many Marvel shows have been on Netflix, but I'm all of them minus one because I've only seen Jessica Jones season one. That's why so. Leon's not here today. He dared, he, he, he just, he, the shame of being four shows behind has just kept him... Yeah, that's exactly yeah. why he's not yeah. here today. Because, <laughs> like, you could be like me. You could either go hard or go home, right? Like, don't yeah. watch any of them or watch all of them. But don't half-ass it the way Leon does. Like, he's got, needs yeah. that, right? He's got four TVs on at once right now. He's trying to catch up for the next, for the next recording. <laughs> he's Ozymandias with his, like, wall of screens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so uh, Luke Cage season two. And um, in a callback to a question from a previous show... Um, around reading habits and what we do when we read. I think it ended somewhere between Ikea and polystyrene, didn't it? Um, <laughs> Doesn't it always? Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> Eating cashews with chopsticks. Yeah, the man who sold the world. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, what I've been doing lately is, like, I've gotten... Again, I mean, like, I go through phases with what I listen to, music-wise, and again, I've gotten really into um, instrument, instrumental music, again. Um, so instrumental bands mm. and I quite like I quite like it for for background music when I'm reading now so like it's less distracting when you've not got I mean like I, I, I listen to I can listen to music while I'm reading but when you've not got lyrics that you kind of want to hum along to or sing along to because sometimes I do that I'll be listening to something and I'll feel like I want to sing along to it and it will divert my attention away from whatever else I'm doing mm. So it, it, I find instrumental music is now better for that. And I've been sort of, um, as I'm reading, I've been trying to pick music that sort of like plays into the mood of the comic. Um, so this is like um, what I was going to ask you, actually, Ray, about soundtracking your comic experience as a way to put it. Because I've been listening, because uh, I've been reading Harrow County, as you as you will know from previous mm. episodes where I've mentioned I've been reading Harrow County because that comes to an end this month, which I'll talk about when I get to the pull list. But while reading Harrow County, I have been listening to a band called Earth, which have got this, it's uh, it's droney, doomy rock, and it's really slow, and it builds up, um, it's quite proggy in places, it's hard to describe, but it's really, really good, and it kind of... Um, yeah, it just it just sets the mood and the tone perfectly for a book like Harrow County. 
because uh, it's got that darkness about it, that Americana about it, um, which is what Harrow County is. It's set in in the South in uh, the 1920s, mm. and it's to do with like black magic and witches and everything else. And it just it just works. They just work really well together. And like, I, well, it's, it's like I was tweeting about it earlier this week actually, because I as I was doing it, I couldn't not tell you guys that it was good. So. <laughs> I had to do that. I think that was was that Friday. I think that was I put that up. But yeah, and um, so that was that. That's what I've been doing. I've been sort of soundtracking my comics. I just wondered, do you do anything like that? Do you do you try and match the mood? Um, not really for comics because I tend to just read them in silence. Uh, I find like because I spend my day reading. Like that's part of my job is you know researching and and reading documents. And in the same way, I can't really have stuff that has lyrics attached to it. Or I have to have stuff which is foreign lyrics. So, you know, I listen to, um, I guess even Japanese lyrics. I can't listen to Japanese songs because I pick up on the words now because I, I, you know, I, I read, read and speak some Japanese. Um, but like I've been listening to a bunch of K-pop. Um, um, but mostly I listen to instrumentals or like orchestral or classical. So like my my main go-to for... If I'm wanting to read something and I want something in the background to distract me but not distract me from the words, I'll put on, like, my go-to is Max Richter, which I know Leon also likes. is a, a composer who does, you know, soundtracks for movies now. Um, probably know his work from, you know, uh, like, I guess, uh, trailers and things. I think he's done quite some quite popular tracks. He did the soundtrack for The Leftovers. I think he was featured on Arrival for the start and end themes. Um, but he did a uh, he did an album called Vivaldi's Four Seasons Recomposed, which is basically like a modernized version of Vivaldi's Four Seasons. And it's a weird one because even if you've never listened to Vivaldi all the way through, if you listen to Four Seasons all the way through, you'll know basically at least one, you'll know part of the music just because it's so... Uh, ingrained in pop culture these days and he kind of takes it and twists it so you'll have these little earworms of um, things you recognize from you know your entire life that'll be dragged in and recomposed in this album so i'd like to have that one in the background um i try and do game soundtracks so recently i've been listening to the near automata soundtrack which is really good and because that has gibberish language in the background um you know it sort of sounds like english but it isn't english and it could almost sound a bit like japanese but it isn't japanese and it has all these different linguistic influences but not actually saying anything specific that's kind of cool to get lost into when you're you know trying to focus on words um what else i've been doing recently i think the studio ghibli soundtracks i found a, a cool youtube video which has um all of them played on piano um which is quite nice and that's something quite calming and peaceful to have in the background when reading and um <clears throat> the other one recently has been the into the breach soundtrack because it has this cool thing where it flits between four different regions of a map and you know one has this like desert techie vibe and one has this cool calming like um foresty vibe and there's you know if you put that on shuffle that changes the mood of the background quite a lot so yeah i do it but i Mm. I, generally i just read in silence i think and i don't i try and you were saying tailoring the music to what you're reading i guess i'm not very good at that if anything i'd rather I do the opposite where what I'm reading happens to fit in with the mood of what I'm listening to. So you, know, you do that thing where you listen to a song mm. and you'll always remember the first time you heard it or you'll remember where you were at a particular moment of a particular podcast you were listening to. Like I like having that connection. I don't like doing it the other way around where 
the music informs the content of what I've got in my hands. Well, that's that's kind of how it works for me because I'll listen to something and then I'll be like, you know what this makes me think of, what this conjures images of. Hmm. And then that's how I'll pair it up. So, but then, so, so if you have, um, so if you've got an album that you already like, yeah. and do you think to yourself, oh, I should go and read X comic while I listen to this because they, they fit the vibe together? Yeah, it, it sort of happens organically in my head. So I'll be listening to, yeah, I'll be listening to something I like, a piece of music I like or something, and I'll be like, oh, this actually fits, this actually vibes really well with comic X or whatever. Like I did with, mm. this is what I did with basically Earth and Harrow County because I was listening to Earth and I was thinking, oh yeah, Harrow County. This, that's exactly what this makes me think of. Okay. And that's how I that's it That's kind of cool. Yeah. You, should, um, you should write these down and put them on, put them on the WordPress site or on, a, on our blog. Well, I will, then... yeah. I'll, I'll probably curate a playlist or something on uh, Spotify at some point as well. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good idea. Like, curate yeah. what, uh, stuff that you think works well with the comics you've been reading for the, you know, for the week or for the fortnight. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'd, I'll... I'd give that a go. It'd give me more incentive to, like, listen to new music and, yeah. listen, and read the new comics as well. I'll have to, I'll have to start doing stuff like that. Um, so, I mean, like, I tweeted about this, um, this week about, like, the connection between, like, the music and the comics, and, uh, I got a reply from, from Tyler Crook about, because I was tweeting about Harrow County, and he said, um, that's pretty good stuff, but the actual perfect soundtrack can be found here, and it turns out Harrow County has its own soundtrack. No way. Yeah, so people have made music (laughs) for Harrow County, and he sent me a link for the band camp. Oh, that's um, fantastic. Yeah. So, uh, like, he replied to my tweet with this link for, for the band camp, and that's pretty cool. So, yeah, Harrow County has a soundtrack, and I've listened to it, and it's pretty good stuff. Oh, then sod your soundtrack. <laughs> yes, I'm going to go check that one out. That's what I mean, yeah. Some yeah. some uh, some comics, like, I guess already do have soundtracks. I, I I wasn't even aware that was a thing, but now I am, and now I'm all the happier for it, because now I've got music as well, so it's <laughs> great makes makes it a 3d experience yeah it's cross media that's cool yeah harrow county has a soundtrack so uh you should all go and check that out on bandcamp and it's just literally harrowcounty.bandcamp.com so if you like your harrow county which i do which you should do because it's a fantastic horror comic and i will not have a bad word said about it so (laughs) yeah go check it out i guess that brings us on to the purpose of the podcast which is comics so uh, let's get going on uh, on the list of books that we've brought for you today. First one on the list is one that I picked out that I sort of like told the other guys to get on and read as well, which is a book called Shanghai Red. Now, this was published on Image Comics and uh, we have a creative team of Joshua Hickston, uh, who is the art and colours. We've got uh, Christopher Sabila, who is script and design. Uh, and uh, Hassan Otsuman Elhal, who does letters. Uh, we've also got a Dylan Todd, who does the logo, and uh, a variant cover by Tyler Boss. And we've got editorial assistance from uh, Andrea Shockling here as well on the book. Now, this one, I had like an image previews book that I got on... I got it on New Comic Book Day, and I think there was a couple of pages from Shanghai Red in there. And then when I was doing my poll list... Um, I sort of spotted this there and I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to grab that and see what it's like. And then when I read it, I told, uh, Rahul and Leon to read it as well. And I, I really enjoyed it. I I thought it was really different and really cool. It's kind of like a a really good, when, when you, when you think of stories set in the time period that this is set, I think this is like a really underused part of that time period. 
if you get me. So what are we talking about? Do you want to set the scene? Yeah, yeah. So um, we've got a um, a young girl who has been... She's been living as a man to try and get by and survive in society to earn money to support her sister and her mother. And she gets shanghaied. Now, the act of shanghaiing is where... Back in, in the time that this is set, if you needed crew for a ship to go on some kind of long, horrible, dangerous voyage that nobody would probably in their right mind sign up for, also to do it on the cheap because you don't have to pay them, you basically keep them as slaves, you would shanghai them, which would be to drug them or get them drunk or get them into a state where they wouldn't know what was going on and then they would just wake up on the boat the next day out at sea, forced to be a sailor basically to survive. Yeah, forced conscription. Yeah, yeah, forced conscription, but it's like a really awful, nasty way of doing it. Mm. Because what they would do then is they would take you on a voyage without paying you. And then they would, um, at the end, they would kind of give you a choice of either you sign up or we leave you. We maroon you, basically, wherever we're going. So you can't come back on the return voyage unless you sign up to become a crew anyway. So by then they've got you, you know. Mm. I, I, I guess the the term Shanghai comes from the place where a lot of people were abandoned was in Shanghai. You'd be Shanghai to Shanghai, I guess, yeah, because yeah. that's where that's where these ships would be going. They'd be going east, which is now just to be clear, where, a bit of a contentious yeah. term, isn't it? Like you don't, you shouldn't. I, I yeah. guess there's because there's some dirty history to to all of this. Yeah, it's a bit of a, a bit of a dodgy thing to to use the term Shanghai out of context. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's so that this uh, this woman has been Shanghaied, um and she's um, she's been living as a man to earn money and things like that. And that's why she, she was Shanghaied and she has been living as a man on the boat. And she it, when they get to the, where they're going, they're, the crew are given the choice, this sort of like this forced crew, this slave crew, in effect, are given the choice, either sign up or we leave you where we are. And our main character, Red, is having none of it. She instigates a mutiny, and that's where the book starts. And it's it's great. It's it's uh, it's almost like pure condensed anger. This mm. book. That's what it feels like to me because it's it's fire, it's blood, it's rage, and it's it's sort of like it's a it's pure condensed anger into comic form. Even the cover is is red and shades of red and i i thought i thought that was just fantastic and it's just the mood is just right there on the page it just leaps off at you yeah i was gonna say it's it's moody and in the the purest sense of the word in that it's very mood driven like the 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 intensity of the mood leaps off the page at you yeah i mean the, the art it's like heavy lines uh thick heavy shadow with a painted quality and it's very heavy and dark and it, it like it really wears its mood on its sleeve because it comes off and and it re- and the the way the story goes and the things we see in this book that is the the art is perfect for that and and it's it's um it's a really good setup to a really good revenge story because we we're hearing a story of people that have been wronged and abused and they're taking revenge and it's kind of like it has this kind of like old revenge movie quality about it but without so the problem some some of these revenge movies had these old revenge films is they they kind of because you know because they 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 kind of went for shock value hmm. 
and they came up a little bit trashy at times because of some of the things they were doing. Yeah, um, sensationalist. Yeah, was, yeah, uh, but yeah. I don't, I don't think this suffers from that, which is good. Um, so it's got like this kind of like really cool revenge movie quality about it, and um, yeah, it's just a very, very promising start to what's going to turn out to be a cool story with like a western twist because it's also got a bit of a western thing going for it as well hasn't it mm. and I, I just i just really enjoyed it start to finish the whole book was great and the artwork's fantastic and the main character's really cool she's really strong and like she's like super driven and she manages to get this whole crew to kind of work for her and it's just great the way the way this goes, the way this book unfolds is just great. And um, like you, were, we were having like a, a small discussion before the show, and um, Ray was mentioning how this number one feels like a complete story. It's almost like a one shot, and he's like satisfied by the end of it, or something like that. You were saying, weren't you? If you want to explain, yeah. Because in contrast to the story I'm going to talk about later, so yeah, it, I felt like we talk about number ones a lot. I use that sentence a lot when when talking on this podcast, but it is difficult to judge a a number one of a series because um, it has a lot of heavy lifting to do. And normally, the way I I feel coming away from having read just the number one of a beginning of a of a, a story series is that either it's going to be um, it's going to do okay or it's going to be bad, and it's never there. It's really hard to find a a good number one that can exist on its own because it's you know it's it's pulled all of the things that it needs to do to establish a new story to establish new characters to establish a new mood um but you know have it as a satisfying one you know one little block opening chapter of a whole story like it's it's impossible in some ways um so a lot of the time i come away feeling like in the worst case scenario, you read number one and it doesn't grab your interest and you're like, well, I'm not going to pick up number two. It didn't give me enough. It hasn't sold its premise to me because that's really what a number one is, is it's almost like reading the back of a book. It's like reading the blurb. It's reading the synopsis where you should be giving me everything I need to know to get me invested. You should be giving me um, setting the tone, setting the art style, giving me characters I'm interested in, giving me a story that I care about. <clears throat> and in a generally in like the best case scenario it leaves you wanting more but maybe it doesn't give you everything that you would want from like an enclosed story and in the best of circumstances as i think is the case with shanghai red it gives you this thing where it, it establishes so that this story shanghai red it establishes what the plot is that it's a revenge plot about this this woman um who has spent you know her life learning how to pass as a man and what that means to this story like it's not the be all and end all of this plot um it informs her character and it informs her place in this story <clears throat> and then we're also told um you know what her drive is she has this drive to get home and see her family that she was you know taken away from um and we're invested in that and it's she's also not just a one note character where all she's driven by is this desire to get home or this desire for um for bloodlust or this desire for revenge like it's all of these things yeah twined with each other <coughs> excuse me she's and, um oh sorry carry on yeah and i was going to conclude by saying the fact that it brings all of these things together and the this number one issue ends on a place where even if they didn't make any more it could happily end there and exist on its own and i'd be really glad to have read just this one issue but as it stands they've given us all of this this thing this one complete story about a woman who takes over a ship 
and how she goes about it and what she intends to do with the rest of her life. It could end there as an ambiguous ending, but I'm really pleasantly surprised to find that there's more. And I'd, and I'm also invested in seeing what she goes on to do next because it hasn't given away all the details, but it's given me enough to hang on to. So, mm. yeah, I this, this I think, is... Um, the the kind of number one that I would hold as the best of its art form, yeah, because definitely. it does all of those things, and I'm yeah. I'm really enamored with it. And before before I hand back to you, I just want to add to the things you were saying, like the the artwork. It has this like chalky, almost three dimensional, scratchy style to it, and it's overlaid onto like a surprisingly colorful palette. But that color comes from like I feel like it's giving you the the sickness of being on a boat, and then you know splashed with the violence of the red of the blood that you know that happens when when she takes over the ship and then like this color is only allowed to shine through these small patches between all the muck and the grime and it really captures this sickening swaying of being trapped in the hold of a boat and then when they go when when the mutiny occurs and they you know they get to go above board um the backdrops change to these like really beautiful smooth skies and it does this it sells this feeling of um capture and freedom really well yeah and that longing of wanting to go back home and longing of you know being back on dry land and yeah yeah i i just i, I loved all of it she's driven by i was going to add to you, you sort of when you're talking about the character she is driven by hmm. survival and she is driven by the urge to protect what is hers something that we learn in the book has been instilled in her from an early age um like all she knows how to do is survive and it's great the way they get that across and and in the colors like you were saying it's like storm calm storm calm yeah yeah and it goes hot cold hot cold hot cold the way it does that between panels as well there's a great page where um it sort of goes hot and cold between uh panels with what's happening and um like when when like within actions basically so you've got you've got cold of someone um performing a duty on the boat and then you've got hot of someone getting stabbed hmm. you know like as it as it explains the mutiny it's sort of like it goes it goes like the sky goes red blue red blue red blue it's like hot cold hot cold mm. hot cold it's great um and I, I just just fantastic way that's put together i just love it yeah the and, light and the shadow is yeah. really good in this because there's a lot of holding candles in a in a darkened, you know, hold of a ship, and how that reflects off of all the people and yeah. like the, the the darkened sockets of their eyes and all of that. It's yeah, it's really geniusly done. And there's a, there's a really good double spread towards the end where we get like a kind of a horizon and a night sky, and it's like mm. they're just coming into port. And if you've ever looked out over water and seen lights on the other side, you know, like when maybe. Um, you've been to the coast and you've looked across at another part of the coast from where you're standing. Yeah, and that shimmering yeah. quality of the light against the yeah. ocean. Yeah. yeah, it's beautiful. I love that. That double page is fantastic when they're pulling into port. It's great. And also, without giving too much away, um, there are there is there is some tonal shift that happens at some point in the story, which is also like it gives away the quality of the artwork where we've described this scratchy art style which is grimy and mucky, and then it follows the same thing through, but then becomes a little bit more delicate and a mm. little bit more wistful. And I think that was a really nice change, and again, really sold the the change in mood it was trying to do. 
Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hmm. I, I really enjoyed it for that. So that is Shanghai Red number one. And that is on sale now if you can find it uh, digitally and in print. I recommend buying it in print. I always do. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's fantastic. And uh, side note, I'm a little bit annoyed because when I was writing my notes this morning, I kind of splashed my copy with coffee. So I promptly went and ordered a new one. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> Got a bit Surely of coffee on just, the cover. It would just add to the quality of the story, right? And that whole like weathered, beaten mm-hmm. thing. Yeah, I know. I just, it, it, like the minute it happened, it's like the siren went off in my head. Oh, no. And I was just <laughs> like, oh, yeah, no, I need a new mm-hmm. one. So I went and ordered a, a new copy of it. Good Shang- yeah. yeah, and supporting the artist twice. That's yeah, exactly, like. yeah. <laughs> support support comics in print, support artists, support writers. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's a brilliant book, and it's great, and it's put on Image Comics, and I urge you all to go out and find it. So the next one we've got on the list is one that I read, which I've been keeping up with, which I've talked about previously. Um, it's the new Hit Girl comic. And uh, speaking of shifting tone, which is what we were talking about just with Shanghai Reds when uh, you mentioned it, Ray. Mm. Um, But with Hit Girl, this is uh, Hit Girl number five. And um, we've had a change in in creative team. Okay. And it's now uh, she's in a different part of the world. So as I mentioned previously, that she was going to be in Canada now. I think I mentioned that in the last show when I did the pull list. Mm. Hit Girl in Canada. Now, the creative team for this one... We've got uh, writer Jeff Lemire, artist uh, Eduardo Riso. Um, we've got Patricia uh, Morvehill doing colours. Uh, Clem Robbins is a letterer. Uh, design and production is uh, Melina Mikulik and uh, editor Rachel Fulton. Got variant covers by Carl Kershaw and uh, Og- um, Osgur Yildirim. Um, so the cover I've got is the standard one and it's Hit Girl on her knees blood everywhere sword out and a bear growling behind her (laughs) and it just like it is it is a complete shift in tone from the previous arc because it's um it feels more more visceral slightly darker the violence hasn't got that cartoon edge to it anymore it's it's just like it's like they've they've stripped that cartoon edge from the violence and it's uh it's just completely different in tone and it it just looks so different when you read it. And I think I'm not sure if I'm just doing this in my head because Eduardo Riso has drawn uh, Wolverine books in the past and it's set in Canada, but it's kind of got this like, to me, it feels like an homage to a Wolverine story. I don't know why. Um, I think that's because of like the hyper violence and everything. Like yeah, an homage I mean... to like a late 80s, early 90s Wolverine book kind of thing. So kind of yeah, got also... that going on for it. Like in the wilderness, I need Canadian rage. Makes Canadian sense. rage, yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's um, yeah. It has the it has the mood of an old Wolverine title, and and I I guess that's down to the fact that it's um maybe the fact that Eduardo Riso is the artist on this, and I know he's done Wolverine before, and I'm just I'm manufacturing that artificially. I don't know, <laughs> um, but it's uh it's great. The artwork's really good in this. It's like dark shadows and. Uh, it's minimalist with like with the lines it's only got as many lines as it needs it's not over busy on the pages there's not too much detail uh backgrounds aren't over busy either a lot of the time and it just works really well for what for what it's doing uh when it's displaying sort of like stark snow-covered wilderness in canada and also when we've got action going on sometimes we don't have any uh any background we just have colors 
and it just focuses the panel entirely on what's happening, like the action of Hit Girl stabbing somebody through the leg or um, in the eye or whatever she's doing. <laughs> and it's even even like the Wolverine-ness, even down to the fact that when the book opens, she walks into a bar asking after somebody in this like this like Canadian like shithole bar kind of thing. <laughs> and she orders a root beer. And uh, the guys like don't serve kids, and obviously Hit Girl's a complete party mouth. So, yeah, she like the literally she just opens with nice mullet fuck face, give me a root beer. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh Hit Girl, yeah, but I think I think it's great, and and yeah, it's it's darker for me. It's got like a different tone because it's lost that cartoon edge, but for what it is, I still enjoy it, and I enjoy it for different reasons. Because it's like the sugar coat. It's like the sugar coating of the Columbia arc was the fact that it it looked silly in places when the violence was happening, like people's facial mm. expressions when they were getting kicked in the back of the head and stuff. I thought that was hilarious. But when I'm reading this, I can't laugh at it anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and that's that's why I, I guess that's why I like it. I like the fact that with this this new Hit Girl run, we're getting different creative teams. I guess as she moves, this is what I, I assume is going to happen anyway. As she moves across into different places of the world. We're going to get different different creative teams and uh, we're going to get sort of like different facets, different... We're going to get to see Hit Girl through different lenses and I quite like that. It's quite cool. Mm. It's a nice idea. Yeah. So that is uh, Hit Girl number five and that is another one on Image Comics. Um, so check that out. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be four parts. Canada is going to be four parts. So Hit Girl five, Canada part one of four. Check it out. Uh, Ray. Handing over to you for your next one. Yeah, so I picked up a new story called By Night uh, by John Allison of Giant Days fame. Um, Art by Christine Larson, colours by Sarah Stern, uh, letters by Jim Campbell. And so to touch back on what we were, you know, we talked about with um, Shanghai Red, I think By Night is that sort of middle ground of a decent issue one. So it's not bad enough to make me not want to read the next one, but it also does that thing where it's it's not giving me quite enough uh, to make me feel like it's an amazing issue on its own, but I'm intrigued enough to see where it's going to go. So, by night, it basically, what it does in this first issue is it sets up some likeable but moody characters with some inherent relationship tensions and a dash of sinister behaviour and some sci-fi fantasy intrigue, and then almost no context on what the rest of the story will be about, and you're left to want based on the strength of all those previous things, so like these these people and the, the, the relationships and the setting. Um, and it's just about enough to get me interested, along with the fact that it's written by John Allison, who, you know, I love Giant Days. And that's the reason I picked it up to begin with. So what we get from the get-go is the establishment of two lead characters. We get Jane Langstaff, who is a master's in chemistry. She works as a glorified dishwasher, as she puts herself, uh, but the dishes are test tubes instead of dishes. Um, she's bored uh, with her job and clearly insecure about the state of her life, and she expresses this by being sarcastic and misanthropic. Um, and then this routine gets shaken when she bumps into uh, a lady called Heather, who's an old college friend, um, who she hasn't seen in a few years, and she spent those few years reciting in her head exactly what she would say to Heather if they ever bumped into each other again. Um, and from what I gather, she completely fails at this. Like, you know, if you've ever had that thing in your head where you 
you recite exactly how you're going to tell someone off or you're going to tell them how you feel. And then when it actually comes to it, all of it leaves your head and all that prep was for nothing. Um, I think that's what uh, what Jane's going through in this issue. Um, it turns out Heather coerces Jane into exploring an abandoned factory in the city under the guise of making a documentary about the downfall of the company that the factory belonged to. Um, but we as the reader, we get to see that Heather clearly has some ulterior motives. Um, like I said, I picked this up because John Allison's other work, Giant Days, is one of my recent favorite finds. And naively, I think I was, or I think I was naively hoping for more of the same. By which I mean, uh, Giant Days does this, does this really well of having uh, loving friendships and like casual hijinks and this whole slice of life deal. And I was expecting this to be more of the same. But it's actually a very different kettle of fish, where uh, the friendship well, the quote-unquote friendship we see between Jane and Heather is pretty one-sided, um, and it's kind of full of manipulation and selfish motives. And because the relationship is driven less by love and more by opportunity, I think the dialogue between them seems to suffer a little as well. So whereas Giant Days has like this witty, bouncy back and forth between like very vibrant leads who have very different dispositions, uh, By Night has like... How do I put it? Um, like Jane's defensive stubborn anxiety uh fighting with heather's sort of manipulative flippant belligerence and it's a bit frustrating because it clashes and it feels like neither party is actually communicating with each other but when i read it a second time i think maybe this is by design like they are two different people who fell apart and now are coming together for very different reasons for each other like i think Jane has something to prove to Heather, but Heather wants something from Jane, and like there's this inherent tension in all of that, um, which is actually the thing that gets me the most intrigued for you know issue two and beyond because I want to see where that's going, even though it's not the thing that I'm normally drawn to. Um, but like with all of this, we get smatterings of a, a larger story hiding in the background. Um, like I mentioned, I alluded to a like a sci-fi fantasy edge to it, which I don't want to go into. Um, mostly because it occurs in the last few pages of the book um, and there's no context for the rest of that given apart from maybe one or two hints about you know some weird characters who are standing in the street and whatever I'm not going to get into that um, but it's just enough to push me into issue two um, and like w one thing I really do like about it is the art style it has this like fluffy soft edged vibe which is similar to a lot of other boom studio comics this is a boom comic uh, so like uh, giant days and like lumberjanes for example it, um and so christine larson uh the artist she captures jane's like closed off insecurity and defensiveness really well in like the way she postures her and uh, you know how she like she hunches and looks around with suspicion um and like heather's persistent and desperate attempts at arm twisting uh comes across in like the way she scowls and um, you know, they make great expressive use of the character's eyes in close-ups to show, like, when the facade drops because they're both hiding things from each other in a way. And when the characters think they aren't being watched, that, you know, that that thing drops, but we as the reader get to see it. And that's that's pretty interesting. And it gets across really well on the page. Um, so I guess, I guess overall I'm left a little bit disappointed, but only because... I think we say this in we've said this in the past as well, but expectation is a bit of a killer, and you shouldn't let that cloud your judgment. Um, I guess I don't really like the leads all that much, but then I'm not sure I'm supposed to at this point. Again, coming off the back of Giant Days, and I can't I can't keep referencing it back to that because it is its own story, it's its own thing. 
Um, so I'm going to have to try and divorce myself from that. But it's a tough line to strike. Uh, and I think John Allison is playing the longer game um, to see how mm. these two young women grow into this strained friendship or, you know, this this forced friendship that they're both entering into again. Um, and I think we'll see that change as the story goes on. Um, so I'm willing to hold on to it, read the next few issues, see where it goes. Um, and I, I think it ends in a way that makes me think issue two will properly establish the tone and the context of the, the full series. Um, so that's By Night. Issue one came out last week, which would have been the 20th of June, I believe. Could be right, mm-hmm. could be wrong, but it's a very recent one. Um, June, so, June 20th, you're right. Yeah. So yeah, check it out if, you, if you're into that kind of thing, especially like this this whole tension back and forth hiding from each other uh you know relationship d stuff yeah so um i'm gonna gush now for about 10 minutes <laughs> what what are you gonna talk about greg <laughs> what do you think i'm gonna talk about right <laughs> it's either gonna be transformers or tmnt or something disgustingly violent and mel <laughs> It's TMNT Universe. Right. Teenage Mutant exactly. Ninja Turtles Universe, number 23. <laughs> um, and the reason I wanted to talk about this book is because when I was younger, and I, uh, you know, like I was still a Turtles fan when I was younger, uh, <laughs> my, uh, my favourite turtle was Raphael. In recent times, um, probably over the past, uh, we'll say, seven years maybe, my favourite turtle has become Michelangelo. And through the IDW comics, my favourite turtle has become Michelangelo. And I have, um, as of uh, the 2012 cartoon series and the idw comics i have another favorite my second favorite character in the turtles like the reason that i like the mute animals um is mondo gecko Hmm. um he's a skateboarding mutant lizard that's pretty much all you need to know about him uh and him and mikey are buddies and um you kind of get this like uh, this this kind of thing a lot in the comics where you kind of know their buddies and they go off skateboarding together and stuff like that and um yeah th- those those two are kind of like the i don't know how to put it like the bill and ted of the turtles world i guess um <laughs> and i i love them they're like two of my favorite characters and in teenage mutant ninja turtles universe number 23 they're getting their own buddy mutant story where it's like these two like working together kicking ass and taking names and it's everything i've always wanted <laughs> um so yeah i mean the, so to give you a bit of a, a background with the, so the the teenage mutant ninja uh, turtles universe comics are um it's basically what detective comics is to the main bat books except it's in continuity with the main ongoing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles story. So things that happen in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles main book um, are referenced in the TMNT universe book and things, and they have an effect on each other. So like there might be something going on in the universe books that will be referenced in the main ongoing story. And it will say to find out more about what's happening here, check out this book kind of thing, like the editor's notes. Um, And it's kind of like it's a good 
a good way the the universe books are a good way to give context and to um to give background to certain actions or decisions characters might make or have made in the main book and also um a good way to uh, explore um relationships between different characters and to um give like uh origins explore origins of characters as well in in places which it has done which is really cool and I'm really, I'm really into that as a, as, as a thing. Like the the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, like the universe books are a great way. Like if you, you know, like if you love a universe, if you love a um a, a, a character and you want to know more about the world around that character, I like it when you get a book like this that kind of does that. You know, I I mm. enjoy that. And what we've got here in this story so the first this is like two they use there's usually two stories in each book so you kind of get like uh two comics for the price of one almost and in the first story in the book which is the the, the sort of like the main story which is like the cover story we've got like this uh awesome cover um of uh it's um mikey and um mondo sort of like standing there like leaping in well not standing leaping into action um like grimaces on their faces ready for a fight kind of thing and it's really cool so uh the the um, the mutant animals a team of uh, mutant animals that were created by a bioweapon manufacturer called Null Industries they've been they've been uh, messing around with mutagen creating mutants and trying to sell them as bioweapons to like military and stuff like that they they've the mutant animals escaped they formed their own little group and uh, they're like a ragtag group of like uh, mutant kind of heroes slash anti-heroes they're sort of neutral because obviously they're intro- i mean like they want to free mutants they want mutants to have equal rights with people and everything else in the world and uh, sometimes they're on the wrong side of things, and that's more down to their leader, Hob, who is a mutant cat. They uh, w- there's a there's a member of the mutant animals called Seymour Guts, who is also known as <laughs> Mutagen Man, and he's called Seymour Guts because he is literally a disembodied he's literally disembodied organs in a tank. <laughs> that's the cool. best way to describe <laughs> him. Um, and he was created by Null Industries because they were trying to fuse different types of animal DNA and to create one kind of chimera type thing, one beast. And obviously the only way he can survive is in a tank of mutagen. Um, and they, they have to um, sort of keep him in this tank. And he was, he's been treated terribly. He has like PTSD and everything because he was like treated horribly in the lab and everything else. And he's, he's quite, a, he's depressed and and they manage to kind of bring him out of that funk a little bit, the Mutanimals, because they make friends with him and they, they treat him nicely. And it's Mondo that names him. Mondo says, we're going to call you Seymour. Seymour's your name, as in Seymour Guts. Get it? Kind of thing. Because mm-hmm. um, they wanted to give him like a, a more personable name because when he was in the lab, he didn't have a name. He was just Mutagen Man. Yeah, he's... Um, so so Mondo's trying to, to cheer him up. This is how the book opens because uh, there's a, a, been a... a, a an altercation with the uh, the Earth Protection Force, the EPF, which are like a government agency that kind of want to... They don't like mutants at all. They think mutants and aliens and whatever have no place on Earth and they just want to they wanna get rid of it or they want to, like, erase them from the planet because they see them as a threat. Uh, and uh, Mutant Man came off pretty badly. He got tore up pretty bad. His suit got tore up. And uh, he's just sort of, like, in a tank, unable to move, like, bedridden, for want of a better way of explaining it. 
and he's not doing very well. He's in real ailing health. Um, and obviously, uh, Mondo wants to do something about that. So to cut a long story short, he decides he's going to get the equipment that needed to fix him to fix his buddy by breaking into the EPF, the Earth Protection Force building. Uh, and he decides that he's going to go to the Turtles for backup. Of course, the rest of them are out on patrol and there's only Mikey in the lair. So it's just him and Mikey working together. Because um, he has an argument with Hob because Hob won't let the mutant animals go on the mission. He says it's too dangerous and they're not in the best shape and whatever. And uh, Mondo's like, screw that, screw the system and everything else. Because he's like, he's <laughs> a he's a teenager. Um, and he's, you know, he listens to heavy metal and everything and he's a, he's a little bit petulant and he doesn't like, um, doing as he's told all the time and stuff like that. He's quite, you know, why should I do that kind of thing? He's a bit of a rebel. So he goes off with Mikey and they break into the EPF and, um, it's just really cool. Like how these two interact together, like, uh, Mikey pulling Mondo back from the brink and telling him, you know, anger's no good for your buddy you need to calm down because he's like really angry about the fact his friend might die and stuff like that and it's really cool how they've got this relationship going with those two like mikey's like the voice of reason and and he's like trying to help mondo and it's really good like he's trying to help mondo come to terms with everything and offer him advice at the same time they're trying to get done this mission um and the book ends on a firecracker of a cliffhanger because well the story ends on a firecracker of a cliffhanger because mondo has absolutely had enough and he snapped and he's standing there with an iron bar in his hand and there's like a load of epf agents in front of him and he's just like i'm not backing down Hmm. come and get it you fascist pigs kind of thing you know it's great i love it um and uh you've um yeah it's just it's just so cool how how they've done that and how they've got him as like this kind of like rebel and it's fucking brilliant um and then like the second there's like two stories in each book but i'll come on to the next one next because like the art in this first one is really cool it's like i've encountered um this this particular artist's work on previous turtles books before uh, it's Pablo Tunica, and um, it's like really loose lines. Well, not not really loose lines, but it's like really fluid, uh, really rounded edges. Um, everything's kind of like bouncy, and there's a lot of movement, and it's really cool and really nicely put together. Um, and I guess it is kind of loose. It's kind of loose artwork, and I like that, uh, but it's still detailed, and it's still really nicely detailed. Um, and coupled with... Uh, Patricio Del Pesce's colours, it's beautiful because his colours are really like um, uh, how do I put this? Uh, like like watercolours almost uh, and, and they like like they flow together and everything just kind of flows like water across the pages and it's really cool how it looks because like, it look, it's like everything's kind of like flowing together and, and everything's nice and colourful and everything's everything's fluid and it's just great um and the writing's fantastic. And as I said before, it's everything I always wanted. It's like my two favourite characters working together on a mission. Uh, the second story is called Nobody Cares. And that is uh, by Rich Duick and Bram Revel. I should mention the first story is um, writer Ryan Ferrier. Pablo Tunica is the artist. Uh, Colour is per Patricio Del Pesce. Uh, we've got uh, a letterer for the whole book is Sean Lee. Uh, editor is Bobby Kerno, And our publisher is Greg Goldstein. And this is published on IDW Books. So second one is uh, Bram Revel is the artist and he does art and colours. And uh, Richard Doick is the writer. And the, book, the story is called Nobody Cares. And the second one focuses on a character called Nobody. Who, um, bit of background, is uh, 
she was part of a street gang called the Purple Dragons and she worked with Casey Jones and now she has like a kind of um, enhancement cybernetic ninja suit which was built by a scientist called Harold who has worked with Donatello on a few inventions and helped Donnie with the technology um, and she goes around as a vigilante basically called Nobody um, and she comes sort of like crosses path with paths with a mutant created by null industries who works for null industries uh she's got like a kind of a bit of a mercenary mentality like she doesn't give a shit really as long as she's been treated nicely and being paid uh, and she's called zodi and she's a mutant scorpion uh, and it's just these two crossing paths and having a fight and it's a short story um and the artwork is like really angular um sort of like flat blocked colors um and it just works really well for the action. And because it's just this is basically just a fight scene across a few pages, which is really cool. I love it. Uh, it's It works really well for that because the way the, the way the artwork is, it works really well for action. And the way it, it conveys movement and everything else is like really kinetic. I love it. Um, and yeah, just the whole the whole book's really good. And, and I want number 24 now because I want I want the next part of this Mikey and Mondo story. So yeah, it it was it's a really cool book, and uh, I just I just wanted to talk about that one particularly because I'm, I want to talk about this story with my two favorite characters being buddies. So yeah, there we go. I want I want oh. my uh, my Mikey and Mondo buddy cop movie. <laughs> I feel like you you got something out of your system just then. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So that <laughs> one gets now. <laughs> yeah that that gets like uh, eight slices of deep dish out of eight because you can't cut a pizza pizza into anything less than eight. Imagine trying to cut a pizza into five. That's just blasphemy. <laughs> <laughs> Make a pentagram. <laughs> you could, but there'd be more than five pieces. Yeah, it would be. <laughs> yeah. <pieces>. Yeah. <laughs> You'd have like a horrible middle bit as well. Yeah. yeah, you wouldn't be able to hold from yeah. from any of the any of the set edges. That's just horrible. You just get like you get bits that are just all pizza and no crust, and you get bits that are all crust and no <laughs> pizza. It's just why would you do that to yourself? Well, something for everyone. Not everybody yeah. likes the crust. Not everybody likes the pizza. Pentagram everybody pizza. Everybody likes the pizza. It's weird. Yeah. Pentagram pizza. There we go. <laughs> so I think that brings us to a close, doesn't it? Because I was going to start talking about Batman comics as well, but then I decided that it's best to leave that until the weddings happened. And then I can gush about it yeah, all at once. That's, that seems sensible. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it turns out, according to our pull list, that the wedding is happening on the 4th of July. But I'll come to that in a moment. So, um, yeah, so that brings us on to the, the pull list. So this is everything to look forward to for the next two weeks. Um, and uh, the day this uh, episode is released, which will be the 27th of the 6th, 2018... We've got, well, this is my pull list, it's actually quite stacked. Um, so the past couple of weeks have felt like the calm before the storm because there's been less comics and now we've got like this whole kind of like collection of coming here in the next two weeks, things that I, I should point out that you guys should should buy if, you're, if, if you want to. Uh, so we've got Realm number seven, the Realm being the comic published on uh, Image, which is, uh, it's a really cool kind of like... Um, Walking Dead meets The Last of Us meets Dungeons and Dragons meets the post-apocalypse kind of thing. And it's really awesome how that all comes together and works in this book. I love it. Uh, we've got Blackwood number two. Blackwood we've talked about previously uh, on the last episode, in fact. I believe we talked about Blackwood, um, which is the kind of like um, the supernatural dark horse book about the uh, the cursed school. We've got one that I, I sort of pulled off the list. This is a, a hardcover that's been released, a, um, a trade uh, this is uh, Neil Gaiman's A Study in Emerald, 
and oh. uh, Neil Gaiman's cool. A Study in Emerald. And the reason I picked this up is it's a comic adaption of a prose story that Neil Gaiman wrote. And uh, it's set in the world of Sherlock Holmes. It's basically Sherlock Holmes versus Cthulhu. Um, oh, okay. And they're trying to solve a murder that's obviously tied to the bizarre cosmic horror of the, uh, the the kind of like Lovecraft mythos. So that's that's why that one interested me. <laughs> um, and that is, um, that's a study in Emerald, so that's quite cool. Uh, we've got Harrow County number 32, which is going to be the conclusion of Harrow County, um, which I'm looking forward to because it means I can buy The Last Trade when that comes out. Um, and uh, yeah, this is it. The final issue of Harrow County, Emmy with the... Well, I'm not going to read that bit because I don't want to tell you what happens because I don't want to know what happens. But yeah, it's... Uh, <laughs> it's um it's the end of harrow county so um if you've been following the uh the the if you've been following the the, the sort of like single issues then that's going to be the end i'm i'm sure it's going to be very very like uh how do i describe it very lock and keyish when it ends mm. as in like how i felt when i read the end of lock and key it's probably how i'm going to feel when i read the end of this so yeah harrow county number 32 um we've got uh the first we've got the diablo house trade paperback coming out next week um which is going to be like the first four issues of diablo house collected into a singular trade for your perusal and enjoyment um yeah i've talked about this book before it's really cool if you like your, your horror comics if you like your old school horror comics this is where you're going to go to get your fix it's great do it buy it read it um We've also got another prelude to the wedding. So we've got like the Batman prelude to the wedding comics that I've been talking about in previous weeks. We've had the Red Hood. We've had uh, Batgirl. We've had Ra's al Ghul and Robin. We've had Nightwing and Hush. And now we've got Harley versus Joker. Uh, we've got Detective Comics 983, Marvel 2-in-1 number 7, which is um, the Human Torch and the Thing, which I think is sort of like... Slowly leading us into a new Fantastic Four, which I'm looking very much forward to. Uh, we've got Multiple Man number one coming out next week. Um, so Multiple Man uh, is he's like he's an X Man character. X Men character. He's a, according to the uh, previews website, a handful of people's favorite X Man, Jamie Madrix, was alive for a while. Then he was dead. Now he's not. <laughs> but he will be again if he doesn't kill himself. If trying to make sure he doesn't die. He he will be again if he doesn't kill himself trying to make sure he doesn't die. I did read that sentence correctly, didn't I? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it makes sense when you read it. Trust us. <laughs> that's that's literally what it says on the preview. In his fight to not die, Jamie has stumbled across a threat even greater than his own death. But fixing it might make it worse. Can he save the world from himself? On top of all of that, the X Men are mad at him now, and a mysterious <laughs> new group of foes is after him too. We can't tell you who they are, but they're pretty great. <laughs> <laughs> this sounds good. Yeah. The cover's really cool as yeah. well. For this and book. it's one number one of five. Hmm. So um, it's going to be a fairly short run as well. And the cover's really cool, yeah, with the, the multiple multiple man, multiple men, like paper cutout men, and then he's in the middle of it there. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to this. I'm hoping it's as weird as that preview is. So... <laughs> Yeah, I kind of want to. I kind of want to read that and clear up the that, the confusion that that preview was sown. Um, <laughs> we've 
we've got Sentry number one, which is the return of Sentry straight out of the pages of um, Doctor Strange, um, which kind of looks it looks kind of cool. Um, I don't know if I, I don't know what well, I put it on my pull list because uh, I, I you know I, it might be something you guys are interested in. I'm not sure, totally sure if I'm going to pick it up or not yet, but it's there. We've got Star Wars Lando Double or Nothing number two as well, which we've took we talked about the first one uh last episode and uh we yeah. It's um issue uh, issue two, so we're gonna find out more about Lando and more about the events that lead up to the uh solo movie that's been in the cinemas recently. So Ray, where are we with you on the twenty seventh? So for the twenty seventh I've got give me one second. Um something that I looked at because it looks like your kind of thing. Something called Bedtime Games. Um it's a Dark Horse comic and again, just the cover, it has a mummy holding like a, a leather-bound tome, um, like in defense, uh, holding it in front of himself. I just thought the cover looked really cool. Yeah. Uh, brand new horror from Nick Keller uh, and Co- uh, Connor Nolan and Kelly Fitzpatrick. And they've all written for stuff like Deathhead, uh, Jim Henson, Storytellers, Giants, Shade the, the Changing Girl. It's about summer comes to an end. Three friends start senior year with a bang by exploring the mysterious path of their school. But before the night is over, their adventure turns into trouble when the kids set loose an evil that seeks to prey on their worst nightmares. And I thought that seems like a very Greg uh, yeah. story. So I think you personally should just go ahead and take a look at the cover for that. It's kind of cool. I will. Um, and then there's Saga number 53, uh, which I believe is the season finale uh, for this this latest arc. Yeah. And apparently it's going to be an explosive and the most shocking storyline yet. So that's got me interested. And then there's Ms. Marvel 31, where they're celebrating the 50th uh, issue. And there, I think Saladin Ahmed is uh, writing for this one alongside G. Willow Wilson and a few others. So that, that'll be interesting. Um, I believe there was another... There was another surprise to go along with this, which I was really excited about on Twitter, and now the name has escaped me, so I'll try and put this in the show notes if I remember. But there, yeah, there's some other thing that was interesting to me about this specific issue. Uh, and that's all I have for the 27th. Yeah, so uh, we'll move on to the, four, uh, the 4th of July, which is the following week. And um, there's a, a few things here that I'm going to mention. We've got Sword Daughter number two. So if you're into your Vikings and your revenge tales, that's where you go. Um, we've talked about that previously as well. Check out the last episode. Um, we've got Batman number 50, which will be the wedding. So I'm looking forward to that. I want to know what's going to happen. And I'm probably going to gush about this entire this entire build up to this with uh, the um, the best man storyline involving the Joker and everything else. Like, I, I, I'll just gush about it all at once. It's great. Catwoman's getting her own solo series. And we've got Catwoman number one. I think it's Joel Jones working on that. Um... And we've got Ghostbusters crossing over number four. We've got uh, Judge Dredd Under Siege number two. Death or Glory number three, which is a fantastic little book. Gravediggers Union number eight. And Cosmic Ghost Rider number one. And I picked out Cosmic Ghost Rider number one because this is Donny Cates and Jeff Shaw. Uh, doing the, Jeff Shaw did the cover for this and it's beautiful. And we've got Dylan Burnett on uh, art duties. Um, exploding from the pages of Thanos. So if you remember when I've talked about the uh, recent... Uh, Donny Cates Thanos run uh, Frank Castle the Punisher in this in this uh, future is the Ghost Rider and he's the cosmic Ghost Rider because he also became a herald of Galactus for a while um, Frank Castle was the Punisher he made a deal with the devil that made him the Ghost Rider he made a deal with Galactus that made him cosmic a deal with Thanos made him dead 
Not to worry, though, he's coming back, and he's got a plan to make the universe a better place that's going to lead him into an even crazier adventure than he's ever been in. Join hot new comic and cosmic writer Donny Cates, Thanos, Doctor Strange, as he pushes his wildest creation past breaking point. So, yeah, Cosmic Ghost Rider. Um, I should mention as well that uh, Donny Cates has also done stuff with Image. He's done um, Redneck, which I'm reading an awful lot of. He's done God Country, which I've got, and uh, which we've talked about as well. We've talked about both Redneck and God Country. Um, and yeah, he just seems to be everywhere at the moment, and I'm not complaining because I like him. <laughs> so yeah, Cosmic Ghost Rider number one's one to check out. So Ray, what have we got for you for 4th of July? Right, so before I go on to the 4th of July, I just want to go back and touch on the Ms. Marvel number 31, which is coming out on the 27th. Yeah. Um, the additional writer for that is Hassan Minaj, who I absolutely adore. Um, if you don't know who he is, he uh, is a correspondent for The Daily Show. He also uh, gained some additional fame on top of you know being on The Daily Show for uh, the 2017 Correspondence Dinner, where he, you know, he tore down the institution. That was an amazing speech, if you Google that. Um, it's there's the version of it on YouTube, which is well worth checking out. And he's also got a, a Netflix um, stand up show called Homecoming King, which I I just I, I love it. It's so relatable on so many levels for, uh, you know, just people of color for Indian background because he's you know, he's got a, he's, he's Muslim uh, living in America. And just that uh, that thing you feel being a person of color, being a minority in very western culture and all the things that come with it that may go unspoken to people who may not know about it i'd really really highly recommend checking out the the netflix show homecoming king and he's going to be a guest writer on ms marvel number 31 and that had me really excited when yeah when g willow wilson announced that um so moving on to the 4th of july uh another ms marvel related thing it's called marvel rising squirrel girl slash ms marvel number one i don't know what it is it's got ms marvel in it i'm going to check it out um, and then uh, something called Billionaire Killers, which is a Black Mask Studio comic. Um, and it asks, what if the children of the 0.0001% reject their family legacies of global brutality and tear down the billionaire patriarchy? Mm. And I just, that sounds amazing on its own um the cover is really striking it's got this like pop art yellow skulls with like vibrant pink background licking ice cream um i think it's by alexis zirit which is one of your favorites is that right greg yes yeah um, <laughs> so i think <laughs> just based on that alone i'm i'm in uh i think it's illustrated yeah. by suli written by matteo pizzola um covers by alexis zirit suli and amanke Oh, I'm going to butcher this name. This is awful. Nahulapan, but we'll leave notes in um, in the show notes, and you can uh, butcher that name for yourselves if you like. Alexis Sirit um, is one of my favorite artists of all time, and uh, if you like what you see, if you check out the cover for Billionaire Killers, and you're into that, you're into that kind of art, then go back and check out his book, um, Space Riders. <laughs> Yes, Space Riders. It looks very much like just the art in Space Riders. That's that's a very yeah. cool cover. The one thing that caught my eye was I I don't know who wrote this article regarding this book, um, Billionaire Killers, but the title of the article is Black Mask Studios Billionaire Killers Asks, What if Ivanka got woke? <laughs> right? <laughs> 
I'm in. I'm in. I'm, I'm all in. into it. Sold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, that that's the pool list, I guess. Is that everything? Got anything left? from me. Yeah, yeah, that's it. We're empty. Bucket's empty. Tipping it upside down. Nothing left. <laughs> um, so that will bring us to a close. That has been Ace Comicals episode number 38. You can find us on Facebook under Ace Comicals. You can find us on Twitter under Ace Comicals. That's at Ace Comicals. You can find us on uh, the internet. Yes, that's right. That ethereal <laughs> thing that connects everyone under www.acecomicals.com uh, where you will find links to everything we do elsewhere um you will find a link to our instagram page where we are is comicals where you can see me posting pretty pictures of um, comics and the occasional stupid video of my face um you will find uh, us to listen to on apple podcast overcast pocket cast spotify stitcher TuneIn, and castro um you can find me on twitter under at bato that's b-a-t-t-o-u uh ray where can we find you yeah, on Twitter, at Monkeh, so that's at M-O-O-N-K-E-H. You can get in touch with us via our Twitter feed. You can send us questions through the DMs. You can send me questions on Twitter. Um, you can get in touch with us via our email address, which is acecomicals at gmail.com. And if you are so inclined, you can buy us a coffee. We have a coffee page or coffee page or however you're supposed to say it. And uh, that is under the... Uh, there's, there's a link to that on our website um and you could if you are so inclined uh you can donate to us the price of a single coffee all proceeds go to the cost of keeping the website running and keeping the podcast hosted and uh that draws us to a close so thanks for listening ace comicals over and out